invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're continuing our series titled, Slaying the Giants in Your Life. And thus far we've looked at the giant of materialism, the giant of unbelief, the giant of a runaway thought life, the giant of ungodly anger. Last week we looked at the giant of an earthbound perspective. And now this morning we're going to look at the giant of a false identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 779, and I invite you to follow along as I read just one verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Most Christians, most truly born-again people are suffering from an identity crisis. I heard about one fellow that was suffering from an identity crisis and an energy crisis at the same time. He didn't know who he was and he didn't have enough energy to find out. Well, maybe you find yourself in that situation, but most believers don't really know who they are. They're operating under a fake ID. They know what they feel about themselves but they don't really know who they are in God's eyes. And by the way, the way you are in God's eyes <laughs> is the way you are. I hear people say sometimes, I've heard this, and it's one of my pet peeves, people will say, well, that's just how God sees it. <laughs> well, if that's how God sees it, that's the way it is. He deals in truth. And so, the real question is, what do you feel about yourself? Not who do you feel like you are, but who does God say that you are? Well, I think probably the best summary in the whole Bible is right here in the verse we just read, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Notice it. He says, first of all, that if you're in Christ, we're going to talk much more in depth about what that means in a minute, but you've been identified with Jesus Christ, you've been born again. It says if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Some translations say new creature. Both of those are good translations. The key word there is the word new. In the Greek language, there are two words for new, N-E-W. There's, there's one word which means new numerically. It's, it's another one. But this word is, is a word that means new qualitatively. It means it's new in the sense that it's a totally different kind. And so when he says, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation... He's saying, you're nothing like the old you just remade over. It's not just a second version of the old you. It's totally different, totally new, not even resembling the old you. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Then he says that the old things have passed away. In the original language, that's, that's in a tense called the aorist tense, which means something that happens at a point in time and it's done with. He says there was a point in time when you came to Christ that the old you was done away with. It's passed away. It's gone. It's no longer there. And then he says, in the last part of the verse, all things have become new. 
Now that's in, without getting too technical, that's in what's called the perfect tense, which means something that happens at a point in time with results that continue on throughout time. So he says, watch it, in Christ Jesus, you have been made qualitatively new. You're a new person, not just a second version of the old variety. You're a new person. And the old you, it's done for, passed away. And now everything at a point in time was made new and continues new through all eternity. Now, that's your identity. And yet, I'm convinced that one of Satan's top three tactics that he uses on believers to deceive us, disarm us, and disable us is deceiving people of their true identity. And he's done an extremely effective job on most believers because, as I said, most believers operate under a fake ID. They live based on what they feel instead of who they really are. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. Here's a heavy statement. What you believe about yourself will eventually determine your behavior, how you act. It's not that it's just not the best way to think. It's that what you think about yourself, what you see as your identity, will, 100%, always, guaranteed, will affect how you act, your behavior. Now, there are two things you need to know about this issue of your identity. First thing you need to know is, is you need to understand your old identity or your identity apart from Christ. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now listen, if you're saved, you need to know what it is you need to deny. That is forsake. What is the self that you need to deny? Everybody's got their own version of it. So you know when it pops up and when Satan tries to use it in your life. Same things taught in... Philippians 3.13 says, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. Now, a, a part of those things which are behind is your old identity. But what are you to do with it? You're to forget those things that are behind. But you need to know what you need to forget. If you don't know what your old identity is, if you don't know how Satan has used that and how you were programmed wrongly, if you don't understand your old identity, you don't know what it is you need to deny and you don't know what it is you need to forget. But secondly, not only do you need to know your old identity apart from Christ, you need to know your new identity in Christ. You need to know what it means to be a new creation before you can consistently behave like a new creature. So this morning, let's take this giant of a false identity, people believing false things about who they are, and let's slay the giant. The first thing you need to, to do is you need the determination of your true identity. Who are you really in Christ? Now, I want to ask you three questions that are kind of a variation of the questions Jesus asked in Luke 9, 18 through 20. Here are the three questions. Ready? Number one, who do you say you are? I don't mean what's your name. I mean, who are you really? Second question, who do others say you are? Third question, who does God say you are? You know our problem? We live on an identity based on the answer to those first two questions and we totally ignore the third one. And the third one is the only correct one. 
You see, most people, when it comes to that, to that first question of who do I say that I am, most people, even believers, link their identity, that is, who they are, with things like their appearance, with things like their occupation, with things like their ability, their family relationships, events in their life, their upbringing. And when you get your identity out of stuff like that, it's amazing to what lengths people will go. For instance, here's somebody who finds their identity in their appearance. You know, they, they're so, you know, they, they get their, their sense of identity and self-worth out of, out of people saying, Oh, you are such a beautiful woman. Or, you're how old? Ah, get out of here. Man, you don't look that old. You, you look a lot younger than that. And, and that becomes your source of, of identity, who you are. It's all tied up to your appearance. Then we start doing weird stuff. Cutting the face and squinching it together. Have you seen those people, some of them? Man, there's some plastic surgeons that ought to be put in prison. I mean, perpetual smiles. Do you ever see them? Kind of like that. They pull back. I heard, read a while back about that so many men are having facelifts that they're having to shave behind their ears because the skin's been pulled back there with the beard on it. And then we buy all kind of anti-wrinkle stuff and all this because our identity, our sense of worth tied up in what we look like. Or how about... How about if your identity is tied up in your abilities? You know, one of the saddest groups of people is aging athletes. Their whole identity is tied up in their performance, what they do. I heard an interview during the Olympics that's been on the last couple of weeks. And they were interviewing a man who works with ex-Olympic athletes. And he said it's amazing how many former Olympic athletes live in destitution, poverty, they have nothing. Because he said once, once their athletic career was over, they didn't know who they were. And they just drift around. Their identity was tied up in their performance, in their abilities. But age takes its toll. And everything begins to change and our abilities begin to change. Now your true identity is determined by two things. Listen carefully. It's determined first of all by your birth. Your identity is determined by your birth. When you were born physically, in God's eyes, and remember, in God's eyes is the way that it is. In God's eyes, though He loved you, you had a birth defect. I did too. You see, we were born a descendant of Adam, suffering the effects of Adam's sin. You and I were born with a spirit that was dead to God, that is, separated from Him. We were born with Adam's nature, which is in reality the nature of Satan, which is the desire to run our own life, do our own thing, live independently of God. And though God loves us, He could not accept us because of our birth defect. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, As in Adam all die. God looked at us and He says, I love you, I care deeply about you, but I must reject you because you got a birth defect. You were born in Adam with a spirit that's dead toward me, with a nature that is contrary to me. Now, when you receive Jesus Christ, that is, the Holy Spirit came into your life, drew you unto Christ, lifted up your hand to faith so that you could grasp the grace of God in salvation, you could turn from all that you are in Adam, and you could put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, when... You received Jesus Christ. You were born again. 
Now, that's more literal, I believe, than we really realize. We think it's just a, 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 a kind of a, a metaphor, but I think it's more it's literal. In our spirit, in our inner being, we were born again. And in that new birth, you got a new identity. You were no longer a child of Adam. You are now a child of God, born into God's family as His beloved son or daughter. And now God looks at you and He says, I love you and I accept you. The birth defect has been dealt with. You've been born again. And Ephesians 1, 6 says, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. His acceptance is not based on our performance. It's not based on our righteous acts, but it's based on our birth that we're His child. Now, when you were born again, you became a new resident in an old house. You had the same body, the same earth suit, but a new you was put in it. God puts a new, new man in the suit without ever unbuttoning the coat. He puts a new resident in the old house. But there's a second thing that determines your identity. Not only your birth, but secondly, your baptism. Now, wait a minute. I'm not talking about when you go through the water. Or when you, as an infant, you have water sprinkled on your head and somebody says something and all the relatives come and cry. I'm not talking about when you're a little older and go through a confirmation class or you go through a catechism class and get sprinkled. Or, or I'm not talking about when, as a child or adult, after you received Christ, you were dunked in water all the way under. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the reality that water baptism signifies. The theologians call it the baptism of, or literally, by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 talks about this baptism, and it says, For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into, immersed into Jesus Christ, into one body, the body of Christ. Now, at the moment you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes, immerses, identifies you with Christ. We're immersed into Christ. We are now in Christ. Now that little phrase, in Christ, is a mighty small key that opens up a mighty big door. And in the Bible, over and over, we see what it means to be in Christ Jesus, to be totally identified with Him. We are no longer in Adam, we are now in Christ Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ are all made alive. Now, if you are in Christ, identified with Him, it means four things. These are not in your notes, but they're important. It means four things. It means, it means first of all, that His life is now your life. When you are immersed in Christ through the baptism by the Holy Spirit as He puts you in Christ, His life is now your life. Now, the scriptural term for Christ's life is eternal life. Sometimes that same word's translated everlasting life. And the Bible tells us that you get it the moment you get saved. Why? Because you are in Christ and you now have become a partaker in His life. You have as a present tense possession eternal life. The second thing that happens is that now his past is your past. You know, there's a popular song in gospel music right now. And, and I, I can't remember the exact words, but it's something like this. It says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You ever hear that song? When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Well, that's true. But there's a whole lot more than that. When he was on the cross... The old you was on the cross with him. 
You weren't just on his mind. You were there with him. You say, what? Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ. You see, that old you in Adam was on the cross with him. When you're in Christ, his past is now your past. But not only is his life now your life, his past your past, his victory is your victory. Because you are in Christ Jesus, you share in Jesus' victory over sin, over Satan, and over death. His victory is now your victory. That's why as a believer, you don't strive for victory. You fight from the victory that's already been won for you. You stand in the victory that's yours because you are in Christ Jesus. And then the fourth truth is that His future is your future. There's no hell in your future if you're in Christ. There's no separation from the Father in your future. If you're in Christ, you've been heaven-born. You're heaven-bound and you're secure in Him. You're in Christ. So the determination of your identity comes from your birth, either in Adam through the first birth, or in Christ through the second birth, the new birth, and from your baptism when the Holy Spirit, the moment you receive Christ, immerses you, identifies you with Jesus Christ. That determines your identity. Now secondly, I want you to see the devastation of a false identity. Let me give, give you a heavy statement here, alright? Listen to this and chew on it a second. Whatever you depend on for identity will control you. Let me say that again. Whatever you depend on for your identity will control you. Not that it might, not that it could, it will. For instance, if I depend on what you think about me for my identity, whether I am successful, whether I am doing a good job, then you control me. So I stand up here and preach and I think, oh, was I too harsh? Oh, did they understand that? Oh, what if I offended somebody? Oh, what if they didn't get it? Oh, what if they don't like me? What if I have a guest in here and they say, I wish he was my pastor? And oh, and, and I begin, you then control my life, my joy, my peace. Everything's controlled by you because I've looked to you for my identity. Same thing with a job. When you look to your job for your identity, then your vocation controls your life. People say, well, I work all the time, but it's just because I, I, I really get tired. No, you're looking to your job for your identity. And if you fail in the job, you're a failure. If you're successful at your job, you're successful. That's where you're looking for your identity. If I look to my I, identity, if I look to my spouse, then my spouse controls my life. But when I am dependent on Christ for my identity, then Christ controls my life. You see that? Whatever you look to for your identity whether it's other people and what they think of you, whether it's through your appearance, whether it's through your job performance, whether it's through a spouse, a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whoever it is, whatever you depend on for your identity controls your life. Now let me tell you how devastating that is. When the giant of a false identity controls me, when I gain my identity from any source other than my relationship with Christ and what God says about me as a result, there are two devastating consequences. First of all, you are chained to your past. You're chained to your past. Most of our identities, apart from Christ, were formulated by people and events in our past. It may have been some parental situation. 
It may have been abuse. It may have been neglect. It may have been overprotection. It may have been put-downs. It may have been a perfectionistic parent. It may have been an alcoholic parent. It may have been some other kind of dysfunctional family you grew up in. It may have been something in the parental realm. Another part of our past that forms our identity apart from Christ is, 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 is things like failure, some sin, some choice you made that, that was the wrong choice, a sinful choice that impacted not only your lives but others. Perhaps it was the death of someone you love or an accident you were involved in or a genuine mistake that you made, but there were deep consequences of that. You see... When we fail to appropriate our true identity in Christ, then those things from our past control us. You know, there, listen, there's some of you here this morning that as clear as I'm speaking to you, you can hear voices out of your past. You can hear perhaps a parent or someone as clear, and it may have been 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, you can still hear these words. You're never going to amount to anything. You're stupid. What makes you think you could do that? You'll just embarrass yourself. I just hit a nerve, didn't I? And it may have happened so many years ago, but it's just like it happened today. That's your past, and unless you appropriate your true identity in Christ, you are you're chained to your past. Absolutely chained to it. Well, some of you are here continuing to beat yourself up over a sinful choice or a series of sinful choices, and you just continue to beat yourself up, chained, chained, chained to your past. Second devastation of a false identity is that you're confined by your flesh. This is similar, but... Your flesh is a condition of operating in your own strength, out of your old identity, yielding to that power of sin in you. And, and as Satan blinds my eyes to my true identity, I struggle on my, in my own strength to, to do something that's going to please God, but I always fail. Because when I operate after the flesh, when I'm, I'm getting out of my own resources based on that old identity, I can't please God. And so everywhere I turn, it seems like I fail. And I try and I try to please God, but I just can't do it. And I keep messing up and messing up. I'm confined by my flesh. The flesh is powerless over Satan. It's powerless over the temptation he generates. Devastating when you live out of a false identity. Well, thirdly, let's look at the designation of your true identity. Is there a, is there a name for a person who has been identified with Christ, who has been made a new creation in Christ? Is there a name who has Christ, for a person who has Christ in the person of His Spirit dwelling within us? Yes, there is. And the name the Bible uses is the name Saint. Saint. Now, let's look at some misconceptions concerning a saint. Most people have a Roman Catholic view of the term saint rather than a biblical view. You see, the Roman Catholic view of a saint is somebody, and I've forgotten all the details, but it's somebody that's been dead over a hundred years, verifiable miracles associated with their life, done to them, by them, through them, whatever, and, and several other qualifications. There's all that stuff. And, and so it's, it's somebody that's sort of an above and beyond person. There's somebody that's come out of the crowd and has been elevated. But let me tell you the true meaning of a saint. There are no special categories of Christians to God. Every blood-bought, born-again believer is a saint. The word saint in the Bible means a set-apart one. 
And when you are born again, you are set apart to Christ. And that is your identity. Believers are called saints 60 times in the New Testament. We may be saints who are acting carnal. We may be saints who are experiencing temporary defeat. We may be saints who are struggling with some sin. But saints, we're set apart to God. We belong to Him. You are not a refurbished, patched up, reworked, fixed up sinner. You are holy and blameless in His sight. You are fully accepted, called with a holy calling. You are a saint. That is your identity in Christ. You say, oh, I don't deserve to be a saint. Well, duh, of course you don't. It's all about grace. That's what grace is. It's God gifting you with what you don't deserve. Nobody deserves to be a saint. Even the saints don't deserve to be saints. I'm talking about in the misconception of the word saint. They, they were fallible, flawed, struggled, just like you do. It's amazing what a few hundred years will do to forget stuff like that. No. I mean, we're so weird how we do things. Have you ever heard somebody refer to a butterfly as a converted caterpillar? Look at that beautiful converted caterpillar. No. It used to be a caterpillar, but now it's been, it went into that cocoon and it's been changed. It's been transformed. It's a butterfly. That may have a, be a butterfly with problems. It may not be able to fly real well. It may have a wing that's broken a little bit, but it's still a butterfly. And so our identity, the biblical word for our identity, who we are, is that we are in Christ saints. Now, perhaps you're saying, okay, I got a messed up view of myself. I am all bound up, chained to my past. I am confined by my flesh. I understand that. Is there any deliverance for me? Yes. Yes, there is. Here's deliverance. It's really simple. God made it so simple. Just as it's simple to be saved, as far as comprehending and doing, even so, it is so simple to be delivered from a false identity involves three things. First of all, apply the cross. You see, because of the cross and all that happened there, the old you in Adam, now listen carefully, the old you in Adam that Satan and sin had authority over has been dealt with. It's dead. It's been crucified with Christ. It has been dealt with. I have come to the conclusion that the most important verse in the Bible for believers is Romans 6, 11. I used to have another verse I thought was the most important, and I still believe it's very important, but I've decided Romans 6, 11 is the most important verse when it comes to living like who you are. And here's what Romans 6, 11 says. It says, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if you are in Christ Jesus, then... You, the old you that Satan and sin had authority over you, it, it's dead. Now, he says reckon. That word means to count as true because God said it's true. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, maybe, maybe you need a formal funeral service. Now, listen, when people lose a loved one, they not only have a funeral service, many times they go to the grave and leave flowers there in their memory. It's part of coming to grips with the death that's occurred. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to mentally go to the grave of the old you in Adam. I was crucified with Christ. As you go back to the time you were in Christ Jesus and old things passed away. And maybe you need to, to, to just travel back there. And let's just have a, a memorial service 
Let's lay some flowers down so we can deal with the death. And as you do it, there's, there, there's somebody really sobbing at the graveside of that old you and Adam, and you look over and it's the devil, because he's the only one sobbing, because that was the one he had authority over. But now we've gone there and we've said, no more excuses for this addiction in my life. No more excuses blaming my past. No more excuses blaming tough breaks. But now, Lord, I reckon on the fact, I count it as true because you said it's true, that the old me in Adam, that sin and Satan had authority over, it is dead. I am dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto you. I have now become a partaker of Christ's very life. Well, you say, ah... Man, I don't know. I, I don't feel like the old me is crucified. <laughs> well, it's not true because you feel it. It's true because God said it. And that's what reckoning's all about. I, I choose to believe it because God said it. I know what happened to me on the cross. The old me was crucified with Him. And when I apply that to my life, confess that it's true, reckon on what happened, then I'm on the pathway to being delivered, being set free unchained by my past, unchained by my flesh. And then secondly, appropriate your true identity. To appropriate means to claim by faith and make it real in your life. To appropriate your identity, you first simply confess in faith that you are who God says you are no matter how you feel. Oh, we let our emotions run our life and they're a cruel taskmaster. No, I go before the Lord saying, Lord, how I feel is irrelevant. But here's what I know. By faith, by faith, I appropriate who I am. I am a saint. I am forgiven completely. I am righteous before you in Christ's righteousness. I am a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.20 tells me that. I am redeemed, set free from the slave market of sin. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, protected so no one can pull me away. I've been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. I am secure. You've said you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. I am accepted in the Beloved. I am loved by you with the same love with which you loved your Son. I am victorious over the world and the flesh and the devil. I am an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And that it's just the beginning. You just go through and you see all of these things that's true of you. This is who you are by God's grace because you're in Christ Jesus. Well, I claim those by faith as being true because God said they're true. I appropriate my true identity after I've applied the cross, reckoning on my death with Christ. And then finally, I just simply act on the truth. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says... And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. He's saying, you don't have to do that. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. The old you crucified with Christ, but now you've been made alive in Christ. There's a brand new you. You have a new spirit, a new life. You're a partaker in His life. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Since we died to sin with Christ and have become partakers of His life, we have a choice when sin wants to take control. You can never say, I couldn't help it, I'm just addicted. No, you chose. You chose. Well, I couldn't help it, it's just the way I've been brought up. No, you chose, because you've been set free from all that. We choose to present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. I may feel helpless, I may feel overpowered, but let me tell you what faith is. You know what faith is? Let me give you a good definition of faith. Faith is living as if God's telling the truth. Faith is living as if God's telling the truth. 
Because you know what? He is. And when I begin to live like He is, because He is, then it comes true in my experience. And so I confess and believe my true identity and begin to act like who I am. Folks, listen. This is not academic jargon. This is not some positive thinking philosophy of, of trying to convince you something of self of something that's not really so, but so you can play little mental games. This is dealing with reality and truth. If the giant of a false identity has been robbing you of all God has for you, then this morning it's time to put him down. Reckon on your death. Why? Because it's true. Appropriate your true identity. Why? Because that's who you really are. And now, act like who you are and not how you feel. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Every head bowed.